So I would like you to consider this question. What are the elements that make for a happy life? Just give that some thought for a moment. I'm going to go out on a limb and predict that we all probably want to live a life in which we nurture a sense of happiness and flourishing. But how do we get there? Psychology used to focus on looking at our problems as a way of getting to happiness. The assumption was that if we could resolve or quiet or come to terms with the challenges in our life, we would be able to flourish and be happy. And certainly, dealing with adversity and dysfunction in our life is important. But modern psychology has also turned more in recent years to asking the question, what are the positive elements of life which, when present, allow us to feel content and happy? Let me add a caveat here and say that no life is perfect. Everyone experiences sadness and loss, times that are more happy and times that are more challenging. We are not talking about a life of total bliss. But in Judaism, we like to ask big questions. So I think it is good to consider the question, what are the components that bring us a sense of contentment and well-being. Our Torah portion, Vayahi, begins with the words, Jacob lived in the land of Egypt for 17 years. Jacob's days, the years of his life, were 147. As our Torah portion opens, Jacob is preparing to quote, be gathered to his ancestors, which is Genesis's way of saying he is about to die. Consider this. At the, last, at the end of the last Torah portion, Jacob came to live in Egypt with his son Joseph and all of his other children. Now, in the very next verse, 17 years have gone by, and he is preparing to die. There is nothing told here of the intervening 17 years. So how is it that the 13th century French rabbi, Hezekiah ben Manoah, known as Hizkuni, says of Jacob that these last 17 years were the happiest years of Jacob's life? I sense too, as I think most people would, that Hizkuni is, in fact, correct. But how does Hizkuni make the leap to say this? And what can we learn from Jacob's life that might benefit our own? We can look for clues to this happiness or flourishing in this week's Torah portion and from Dr. Arthur Brooks. Dr. Brooks is a social scientist, a best-selling author, and professor of one of Harvard's most popular business classes. Perhaps you've heard of it, Leadership and Happiness. Dr. Brooks, based on his research, 
believes that three elements are the main ingredients to happiness in life. The first element is enjoyment. This is defined by Brooks not as simple pleasure, which he sees as more animalistic, but as a pleasure that is connected to building relationships, to creating memories, to human elevation. Enjoyment comes from the moments that we create and the special relationships that we have with others. As we look at Jacob in this last segment of his life, we can see glimpses of the enjoyment he might have gotten during his retirement in Egypt. When Jacob arrived in, Pharaoh, in, sorry, in uh, Egypt in the last Torah portion, he said to Pharaoh these words, few and bad have been the days of the years of my life. Jacob at that point was 130 years old, hardly young, but his days had been filled with challenges and tragedy among them having to flee from his home, being tricked into marrying Leah, Rachel, his favorite wife, being barren for many years, the supposed death of his favorite son, the death of Rachel, the rape of his daughter, and the massacre of the men of Shechem by his own sons. But now things change for Jacob. In Egypt, his family thrives and prospers. This will be a problem for the Israelites in the book of Exodus. But at this point, his family lives as honored guests of Pharaoh's second in command, Joseph, his son. Jacob, having just spent many years in famine, now can rest without worry of where his next meal will come from. And all of his children are able to provide for themselves and for him in the fertile pasture land of Goshen. Secondly, Jacob has the joy of knowing that all of his children are alive and with him. This message is made clear in two scenes that happen in this Torah portion before Jacob dies. In the first, his beloved son Joseph and Joseph's sons come to see Jacob. Jacob says to Joseph as he kisses and hugs Joseph's two children, Manasseh and Ephraim, I never expected to see your face again, and here God has shown me your progeny as well. Here we see that Jacob appreciates how fortunate he is to again be with Joseph. And Jacob elevates this experience by taking the opportunity to offer a blessing on Joseph's children. We can sense the deep joy felt in Jacob. And we see again the importance of relationships in that before he dies, Jacob summons all of his sons into his room. In his deathbed scene, Jacob is surrounded by his progeny, and he has the chance to address each one of them individually one last time. So while we don't know the particulars of what Jacob did during these final nearly two decades of his life, the text suggests that with a sense of security and the joy of having his family nearby, Jacob now experienced much more pleasure than in some of the earlier chapters of his life. Like Jacob, 
We don't always have control over the circumstances of our life. We are not promised a life of ease. For better and for worse, our lives are filled with both sorrow and joy. But we can learn from Arthur Brooks and from our patriarch Jacob that focusing on relationships and appreciating the times of joy in our lives are a vital part of flourishing. Arthur Brooks says that the second ingredient that engenders happiness is the feeling of a sense of satisfaction. He notes that we feel satisfied when we have met our goals or have done a job well. For humans, this is an important part of flourishing. It's interesting, though, and important to note, I think, that this sense of satisfaction does not last. Think about it. For the most part, when you feel joy at the way a project turned out or graduating from college or helping a friend, it does bring a sense of joy. But you don't then feel, OK, I've done that one thing, and now for the rest of my life, I am satisfied. Arthur Brooks sees this as a positive trait, because if our brains did work this way, we would probably get a lot less accomplished in our lives. What happens is we feel joy and satisfaction, but then the brain resets, and it is soon ready for a new challenge and a new opportunity to feel that sense of accomplishment. I think part of what we sense from Jacob at the end of his life is this feeling of accomplishment and satisfaction. In his meeting with Joseph, he recalls that God had said to him, I will make you fruitful and multiply you. And Jacob, at the end of his life, sees that he has indeed had many children who now have grown up and prospered. In addition, Jacob has brought other elements of his life to a good conclusion. He has resolved his conflict with his brother Esau. He has shown respect to his father Isaac by giving him a proper burial. He has lived to see his children living peacefully, finally, together. So at the end of Jacob's life, he can see many accomplishments. As we think about our own lives, may we remember that setting goals for ourselves, continuing to learn and grow, resolving conflicts, doing meets vote, helping others, these are positive parts of being alive. And doing them blesses us in many ways, not the least of which is the joy of satisfaction we feel when we do them. The last ingredient, according to Brooks, that helps to create human happiness is a sense of meaning and purpose. Jacob is blessed with a life of purpose. Central to his life has been to have a relationship with God, to build up this new people, us, and to link them to the land of Canaan that will be their home. As he prepares to die, Jacob says to Joseph, I am dying now, but God will be with you, and God will bring you back to the land of our ancestors. Jacob can look back on his life and see that he has successfully been the third link 
in the line of this new people. He believes that his progeny will continue this new faith and that they eventually will return to the promised homeland of Canaan, later Israel. Dr. Brooks points out that ironically, while purpose does help create a sense of well-being and flourishing, it often develops from hardship in our lives. Challenges and heartaches are often the catalysts that help us develop a sense of mission. Remember, it was when homeless and fleeing the land of Canaan that Jacob was promised that he would someday return to it and inherit it. He kept that sense of purpose with him for decades and eventually did return to the land. In Judaism, we have many mitzvot that give our lives direction and meaning. And of course, we in this room may have chosen many different things to focus on for a personal sense of purpose in our lives. But if we want a concise statement of Judaism's view of what we should do on this earth, it is beautifully summed up by the prophet Micah, who said, it has been told you, human, what is good and what God requires of you, to do justly, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with God. We are here to be a blessing, not a bad guide for us all. So as Genesis comes to an end, as Jacob and Joseph's life end in Parshat Vayahi, you and I start on a new secular year. In this period of newness, may we reflect on how to live life well. Arthur Brooks and our patriarch Jacob teach us about flourishing. May we nurture well-being by keeping these three ingredients in mind. Enjoyment, accomplishment or satisfaction, and living a life of purpose and meaning. Amen. Amen. And as we reach the end of the book of Genesis, I hope you'll join me in saying, Hazak, Hazak, Vanit, Hazak. Ready? Hazak, Hazak, Vanit, Hazak. May we be strong, may we be strong, and may we strengthen one another. Amen. If you hold